You're listening to Lane Powell Live, www.lanepowell.com. It wouldn't be a legal presentation if we didn't include a disclaimer. We want to note that the information provided in this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. All information, content, and materials available today are for general informational purposes only. Legislation and regulations are always subject to change, so we recommend that you always check with your legal counsel to ensure that any advice you receive is current. You'll find our full disclaimer at our website, lanepowell.com. Thank you for joining us today. We're back for another episode of Lane Powell Live. With me today is Heather St. Clair, a labor and employment attorney at Lane Powell. When the pandemic set in last year, the state of Oregon's employment department quickly realized the shortcomings of their infrastructure. Some people waited up to 14 weeks for benefits. Oregon's employment department has engaged an outside vendor to help update their infrastructure. This is a multi-year process that will hopefully conclude in 2023. Of course, everything is in flux and subject to change. However, Heather helps give us structure and clarity in this space. Heather's segment was originally produced by the Multnomah Bar Association Young Lawyers section. If you are an employer in the state of Oregon, I highly recommend you go watch the presentation in its entirety at mbabar.org forward slash CLE. Please welcome Heather St. Clair. Thanks everybody for joining us today. Um, I'm happy to talk a little bit about the recent COVID updates to the Oregon Family Leave Act. So as mo most people are aware, there were some changes made to the OFO last year in response to the COVID-19 emergencies. You know, typically the OFLA provides 12 weeks of unpaid job protected medical leave in a calendar year or however the, the 12 month period is defined by the employer. Uh, there's an additional 12 weeks of leave available to workers that need sick leave and have already used 12 weeks of parental leave or uh, for leave this needed due to a pregnancy related disability either before or after the birth of a child. OFLA typically also provides for insurance continuation and job protection. But there were some changes made last year that were then made permanent in uh, March of 2021 that are particularly pertinent here. So typically the reasons for OFLA leave include the birth or adoption or foster placement of a child, a serious health condition for either the, the worker, their spouse, their child, or a parent or in-law, um, pregnancy disability leave, uh, and the changes come around the sick child leave. So typically OFLA would cover for a child's illness or injury uh, but the COVID-related changes have to do with school or daycare closures. Typically, of course, OFLA covers military family leave and bereavement leave. Eligibility criteria are the same, the covered family members are the same, and the notice requirements are the same. And so, you know, the eligibility, you have to have been employed for 180 days. The employer has to have 25 or more employees, and the worker has to have worked at least 25 hours per week. That's not applicable for parental leave. The covered family members, you know, it's broader for OFLA than it is for FEMLA. So the employee, the spouse, child, parent, grandchild, grandparent, parents-in-laws, domestic partners, domestic partners' parents, and domestic partners' children. And the notice requirements kind of track with everything else. You know, employees should give the employer's notice of the need for leave at least 30 days in advance, unless it's impracticable. 
Um, sick time laws require 10 days advance notice, unless impracticable. And employees that fail to comply with notice policies can be disciplined so long as the discipline is not discriminatory. And so in March of 2020, Bully issued temporary rules that expanded the OFLA eligibility and criteria. And then those rules were made permanent in March of this year. And those changes include adding the school or daycare closures due to COVID or public health emergency as a qualifying reason for OFLA sick child leave. Now, what's really interesting about the regulations that were adopted is that daycare is, find, is defined very broadly. So a grandparent that typically cares for a child but is no longer available could be con considered a, a reason for, a qualifying reason for OFLA leave. And similarly, a closure is anything that restricts physical access to the school or place of care, and it can be ongoing, inter intermittent, or recurring. So the ability to take OFLA leave on an inter intermittent basis is very new with these changes in regulations. Um, and so, you know, that can accommodate hybrid learning models and, and other sorts of things that we've seen more commonly in the COVID era. Um, additionally, it permits employers to request documentation for a sick child leave. Typically, employers can seek medical verification of the need for sick child leave after an employee's third use of sick child leave in the year. But COVID changes permit the employer to request the name of the child being cared for, the name of the school or care provider that has closed, a statement that no other family member is willing and able to care for the child, and a statement that special circumstances exist if the child that needs care is older than 14 and the time that they need a parent's care is during daylight hours. Now, it's interesting because if you, you know, read the statute closely, it does not permit the employer to inquire about the special circumstances. So you can't ask, you know, why do you need to be home with this kid that's over 14 during daylight? Um, but you can ask for a statement from the employee that attests to that. I've read some commentary or people have speculated that, you know, COVID is kind of a, a once in a lifetime pandemic and hopefully these permanent changes to OFLA won't have um, impact into the future for the way we do business. But when you consider the broad language of the updates, including closure and, and public health emergency, you can imagine situations in which this could continue to apply in the future. Um, you know, I was thinking of last summer and the fires and air quality issues that impacted the entire state. Um, and this summer, you know, the winter storms in February that left people in the metro area without power, sometimes for up to a week. And so if things like that cause a, a closure to a school or a daycare provider, those may also then become qualifying reasons under OFLA for this sick child leave if there's a public health emergency declared as a result. And you could think, you know, about other warming related weather events that could occur in the future or you know there's really a question about our pandemics really once in a lifetime you think about MERS, SARS, Ebola I mean we've been lucky that we haven't seen a lot of those impacted here locally but the potential for that in the future is still there so realistically the the COVID changes to OFLA are things that employers should be prepared to deal with into the future um, I think they could have permanent impacts on leave requirements in Oregon Heather, thank you for your insights regarding the Oregon Family Leave Act. Let's transition now to discuss paid family leave, including problems on the horizon and lessons learned from the pandemic. We've learned a lot through, uh, I think, both the, the increased need for family leave that people have seen coming out of the pandemic, as well as what sort of issues to expect for programs administered by the Employment Department after the fiascos that we saw with the unemployment insurance through all of last year. 
On top of that, you know, when we were looking at this law last year, the rulemaking committees hadn't met yet. So there were a lot of kind of questions and ambiguities between the way the text of the statute was um, drafted and what we might expect during the implementation phases. The rulemaking committee began meeting last fall and met, I think it's, it's still meeting actually, um, but they've, they've worked through a lot of issues in the past few months. And so um, we've gotten you know, some clarification and some answers that there have been some changes. You know, the, the employment department has recently asked the legislature to delay the statutory timeline for implementation of Oregon's paid family leave. They have decided that the paid family leave program will be administered with the same infrastructure that's currently used for unemployment insurance, which, you know, last year there was a question as to how that would be done. They've answered that, but because of the notorious backlog we saw during the pandemic last year with unemployment insurance, where some people were waiting, you know, up to 14 weeks to get benefits, it's not clear how, how all of that will successfully be implemented at this point. So they have hired a contractor to come in and replace all the systems that currently administer unemployment insurance. And therefore they need additional time for the paid family leave infrastructure to be built out with the unemployment insurance infrastructure. The legislature is currently considering the request for additional time in HB 3398. I don't have any crystal balls to predict whether or not they will pass that, but I, I assume that they probably will. The original implementation timelines that were covered in the statute were that the, the work groups would complete their draft rules by the end of January of 2021. A portal for online payments would be established around the same time. Formal rulemaking would begin in the spring with public input and would conclude by September this year. Employers were encouraged to submit equivalent plans by the fall so that they could avoid contributions that were scheduled to begin in January 2022. Those contributions were set to go into effect on January 1st of next year, and then benefits would be available beginning January 1, 2023. The uh, adjustments that the employment department has requested from the legislature are here. Um, currently, you know, the, the vendor updates that was not included in the original statutory timeframe. So they, they've asked for um, time for the vendor to make the updates to the unemployment insurance and paid family leave computer systems between July of 2021 and January of 2023. The formal rulemaking now would conclude by September of 2022 instead of 2021. Employers uh, have been encouraged to submit equivalent plans now by October of next year instead of October of this year. And contributions would be pushed out until January 1st, 2023, and benefits until September 2023. So that's um, you know, a nine-month delay in benefits and a full year delay on almost everything else. Now, some of the interesting things that came out of the listening sessions for the rulemaking committee, which are available online if anybody's interested. Um, they talked about, you know, three thousand dollar grants that would be available to small businesses who choose to um, take part in the paid family leave program. If you recall from the earlier parts of the presentation, businesses with less than 25 employers and our employees are not required to participate. But if you choose to, then the state can provide, you know, these $3,000 grants for up to 10 grants per year, which would help cover the cost of a temporary worker or overtime for other employees during the leave of the employee that's out. Um, Penalties can be assessed just like with UI for failure to report or pay the assessment against the employer. The statute requires division of the assessment such the employees may not pay more than 60% of the assessed amount, but they can choose to pay 
more than the remaining 40%. So I think we covered that slightly earlier, but there may be more incentives around that, especially for employers who are considering an equivalent plan. Pay and reporting requirements will apply to all otherwise covered employers that have an employee in the state of Oregon. So, you know, we get questions sometimes about what if your business is outside of Oregon. If you meet the other requirements and you have any employees inside the state, this is expected to apply to you. Uh, and, you know, one of the interesting things, you know, Brad was talking about how we've looked at Washington State's rollout to kind of guess what, what might happen here. Well, the working groups who have been uh, making rules with the committee, they have been working with the same experts in Washington who implemented the law up there to learn from their plan. They've also hired an economist to forecast the number of claims expected in 2023. We haven't seen what that will look like, but it's interesting to see that they are being proactive, trying to get some sense of what's going to happen here, um, but that doesn't forestall the delays that they've requested. Thanks, Heather, for that quick yet comprehensive update. Employers should be prepared for these permanent changes to have permanent impacts on the leave requirements in Oregon. Heather and her team help keep clients and friends to the firm up to date on legislative changes in Oregon and Washington. I invite you to sign up for labor and employment updates at lanepowell.com forward slash subscribe. See you next time. The lawyers of Lane Powell serve as trusted counsel, advocates, and advisors to clients who rely on us to resolve complex business, litigation, and regulatory challenges. We invite you to subscribe to periodic legal updates relevant to your business, written and published by lawyers from Lane Powell. To sign up, visit lanepowell.com forward slash subscribe and choose any topics that are relevant to your industry or business. Thank you for joining our discussion today.